the reason we start with setting your top 10 values is because your values will lead to what you want your life to look like, what you want to spend your time doing. Seniority Authority exists to answer your questions on aging. The world has changed dramatically in a generation with more retirees than ever before, living longer with more choices. If you're an older adult or have an older adult in your life, where do you go to begin to understand those choices? I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey, with over a decade of work experience in retirement communities. I can track down the right people to answer your questions. So send your questions on aging to me, and together, let's get smarter about growing older. Does the idea of retirement scare you just a tiny bit? Much as you long for free time, longer weekends, do you wonder what you're going to do after you take that dreamed of vacation? My next guest has guided hundreds of people through retirement as a financial advisor, but his most powerful advice has more to do with identity than investments. His practical suggestions will start you on a path to a happier, more fulfilled post-work life. Stay tuned. Thanks to our show sponsor, The Riverwoods Group, Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. Now, let's hear from today's guest. Welcome to Seniority Authority. I'm your host, Kathleen Toomey. Okay, let's get real about retirement. I mean, yours. And I don't mean how much money you have. I mean your life, your purpose, your identity. In the overquoted words of poet Mary Oliver, What are you going to do with your one wild and precious life? My guest today is an experienced financial advisor who has guided hundreds of people on their path to retirement, but he's not here to talk about money. Roger Whitney has been a financial advisor for more than 25 years, and he's the host of the award-winning Retirement Answer Man podcast. Roger's on a mission to change the way the world thinks about retirement one little conversation at a time. The author of Rock Retirement, a simple guide to help you take control and be more optimistic about the future, a Forbes online contributor and creator of the Agile Financial Planning Process, Rogers also taught retirement planning at the university level. Investopedia has named him to the top 100 most influential advisors from 2017 through 2021, and he has won multiple awards for his blogs. I am thrilled to have Roger on Seniority Authority. Welcome. Wow. After that, I feel like I really have to know what I'm talking about. I hope I do. do. (laughs) You definitely do. You know, uh, first of all, you know more about podcasts than I do because you've been doing them a lot longer. But I want to talk to you today about your philosophy on retirement because I think it's something that more people should grasp. 
So let's talk about how you define retirement. You and I talked about it as the cessation of full-time work. Is that accurate in your opinion? First off, I haven't defined anything. Through my work individually with clients and honestly through the last seven or so years with the podcast where I've been able to communicate with thousands of people many times back and forth, it's really how do the people that are at the verge of retirement, how do they define it? And what I, what I discovered is that in the financial industry, we think of it as the brochures and leaving full-time work and you just struggle to get there and then that's when you can be happy. And what I discovered through the journey of obviously with clients, but more of the podcast is the words that people use to describe retirement have nothing to do with not working. And they have a lot more to do with having some time freedom and having some control over their time. So when I think of the definition of retirement, it's really the desire to do what you want to do for the most part and not be in the rat race. And there's a lot of ways to accomplish that other than just quitting. I think that's a really good point. And I love focusing on control. I love thinking about this time as an opportunity where you have the ability to exercise more control over your life. I think I, being the word person, I am fixated on retirement because it suggests stepping back. And in this day and age with people living so much longer, it's not that. It's really an increase. It's You're really retired for much longer than any other generation. Yeah, I think that stepping back phrase mm -hmm. is a good phrase of how people think about it. Because in my mind and, and from what I hear is, and it's a generational thing too. I think this is one thing that the younger generations have figured out, maybe looking at their parents and at us, is a lot of us see retirement as an escape from the, this train that we're on, this rat race that we're on. And so when they look at retirement, it's more about escaping rather than leaning forward into something you're excited about. And that's important because taking away the pain is a good motivator. But if that's all you focus on, when you get the pain taken away, you can find yourself lost. Absolutely. There are psychological studies that talk about the anticipation of a vacation is ultimately as satisfying, if not more satisfying than the actual vacation experience itself. And so I would love for people to get excited about a new lease on life and having more control, not to dread it. So I think we are looking at shifting mindsets. When we talk about retirement as the only really word we have, when do you think people should start thinking about retirement and what they will do? And I'm not talking financial. I'm really talking about purpose-driven life. If my listeners are 50 or 60, is that too late? What do you see in your clients and what have you experienced with your podcast audience and your very popular Rock Retirement Club? If we're not talking financially, 
I'll use myself as an example, because for me, I started to think more about it in my 40s, but not about retirement. Because again, if we're not defining retirement as not working, and we're talking about this idea of control, one of my favorite words is agency, right? Having some power over my life is, I don't think it's ever too early to be thinking about that. And I, I talked to my 20 something year old kids about that, about how do you create the kind of life that you want, right? So for me, when I started to say, wait, this kind of life that I've in, I created this career that I was very good at, but I felt wasn't really the best representation of me. And I had very little control over my time. And that's a little bit of what helped me start the podcast back in 2014 or so. And that was part of my exercise of, well, what could I do? And as a result of that, because I was at the time, I was partner in a wealth management firm that I had founded. I was the chief compliance officer. I had a lot of responsibilities and I was relatively good at it, but it didn't feed my soul and took a lot of my time in a structured way. So I just started exploring, well, what could be? And if you fast forward now, I've iterated myself to, I probably work harder but I'm doing exactly what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. I have a relative amount of time freedom. I just got back from Colorado where we spent five weeks and I just worked and played from there. So I have this control of where I can be and how I work. And even though I'm working harder, I'm having the time of my life. So you can start doing that in your 20s or in your 60s. I think the key is that intentionality of what am I trying to work towards rather than the model that our generation has seen, at least this, it was almost unspoken. And you, you can correct me if you don't agree with this, but I remember coming out of college and everything else. I had to get my career, got married, I had children, bought the house. And I created this, essentially this cage of a career that I fell into that I was relatively good at and I was getting paid relatively well, but it wasn't feeding who I was. And then you feel trapped. And so I think that's really the thing that we need to revisit is, well, what could I do that's different if I rearrange things? And that is so important, but it's hard to do, especially if you are at a certain point where maybe you're 40, maybe you're 50, you've got an established career, as you said, you're successful at it and getting well-paid. It can be scary for people to even contemplate stepping off that train and saying, how can I rearrange things differently? And I think you're right. I think there's a generational difference. So we know that millennials and, and those younger than, than millennials are going to have multiple different careers not in their life, not just jobs, but different careers. They've come kind of baked with that in them and they're digital natives and they're yes. agile from the very beginning. We are a little more dinosaurish. <laughs> I include myself in that. It's hard, as you said. Our we're programmed, do well, do the next job and the next job and make more money and make more money. And then to say, wait a minute, is this what I really want? Yeah, and, and you find yourself. And I think there's periods of inflection points in a life cycle that I've observed where you have some reassessing to do. Uh, and one of them is, is this what the rest of my life is, right? At, after the kids get out of the house and everything else. So your analogy of getting off the train is intimidating, right? 
And I think the, one of the reasons it's in, intimidating is because generally we like to do drastic steps, right? We want to be dramatic and put the stake in the flag and jumping off a train when it's at speed is very scary. But if you can manage to incrementally slow the train down in an iterative fashion so you can step off the train, that gets a lot less intimidating. So that's one reason from a, as a financial planner, now I always call myself a, a classically trained financial planner because everything was about a very comprehensive system to build this big plan that was memorialized in thousands, hundreds of pages. And that's one, and I always thought that that made planning intimidating and much less approachable. And so what I did is I went to the ad, the project management industry and looked at agile methodology of project management and started to apply it in financial planning of it's not about the plan, but it's about how do I take little incremental actions to create the life I want. I'll use an example, I think, Kathleen, that might help demonstrate this. I have a client I've worked with for years who is a very successful doctor. We started with a plan for him to retire, I think it was age 54. And then as we got closer to age 54, he realized he really loved his work, but what he really didn't like was being on call. Because doctors, they're associated with the hospital. They have to have periods of time where they have to be near the hospital. They can't drink alcohol. They got to be ready if the call comes, right? Like a fireman. And really, that was what caused him the most pain because he'd been doing it for decades. So, And he has no agency. He's on call. He's on call. Yeah. So rather that, and we, we identified that. So we created these little baby steps for him to navigate disassociating with the hospital and just having a private practice, which with a doctor, it's a little intimidating not to be associated with a hospital because that's where you get a lot of referrals. So you're sort of embedded in you. But as through our discussions, what we started to realize, hey, he's at the level professionally where he didn't need the hospital. And he, he just had to get over the psychological barrier that he did. And so by him going into private practice, we've moved out his retirement date probably three or four different times now. And he's making relatively the same money, but he has Fridays totally off. He never has call. So that's a way of incrementally getting off of the train. I love that example. I think that makes a big difference because you're not connected to the system and you're not letting the system dictate what your hours and what you're going to do. And it, uh, it's very familiar with me. I, I have a lot of friends who are doctors and it's like, you don't want the call. You don't want the, you have to be 15 minutes and you have to fill out this paperwork. So I think that's a great example. I also like your approach of marrying the whole agile project management concept with the idea of financial planning, because I think you're right. People think of financial planning is, oh, it's one time a year. I got to go through. It's going to be bad news. I've got all this, you know, it's intimidating. But the way you have set up your system, it's more of these huddles and these discussions. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that system you've created? Yeah. So if you think of agile project management, the best way to think about it is your iPhone or your, 
your Google phone or whatever kind of phone you have, and you have all these apps on your phone. And have you noticed that you always have to update these apps, right? It seems like every other day there's an update. That's because that those applications were created in what's called an agile structure, which means they just get out a product that's minimally effective, that gives the features that are most important. And then based on the feedback they get from users, they, they can very quickly just tweak updates, right? And that is, so let's, to bookend that to what we, you and I probably remember when it comes to software, we'd get the new Microsoft Office package. We'd have seven or 10 CDs. And we'd have to load them all into the computer and then update drivers. And then when they have the dancing paperclip that they finally realize, oh, nobody really wants that and it's annoying as anything, right? Then it takes years for them to come out with the next version, which is, I, I call that traditional financial planning. So from an agile structure, how you do that in your financial planning, and I think anybody can do this on their own, is generally people want to know, I call it the WAM. If you can, you want to deliver the WAM to, for me, to my clients or to members of the club, but generally you want to, okay, what should I be doing next? Right. What little action should I focus on? Right. It could be taking care of a risk. It could be an opportunity to do catch ups in, in 401k contribute. What should I do next? That's the W. And then they want to know, okay, well, how do I do it? If, I, if that's what I'm supposed to do, okay, how do I do this easily? The H. And then some accountability or assistance to help them get it done. And, and if you, get, you do all that, then you get momentum right? Then you complete the task and that feels good, just like it feels good to level up in a video game. And then the next, the next logical question is, okay, now what do I do? And if you can set these action items as little things you can easily jump over and iterate over and over again, you can really create more change. And what it does is it actually gets people excited about the process. So as an example, Kathleen, in meetings, our meetings are never longer than 45 minutes. And we're always trying to figure out, okay, this is where we're going. What's changed in your life? What are you worried about right now? Or what are you excited about? Oh, you want to you get rid of call. Okay, what's the next little step we can do to start positioning yourself to walk that direction? And then we set the action and then we just focus on doing it. That's great because you're building on success and you're doing it in bite-sized pieces. So it makes the whole financial planning less intimidating because it's more of a conversation. Yeah. And it should be less intimidating. I think that's an industry thing that we all have to work out because we use all these fancy words and focus too much on investments and not on how do we be a good steward of our lives. I hear you. I think being a good steward of your life is what people spend less time thinking about. They have the finances down, but they don't think what's next. So do you have advice for folks on, you know, part of leaving your job or or shifting from your job, as you discussed with your example with the doctor, is changing your own identity and your personal identity. Do you have advice for 
how to approach that so people are more open to doing that in advance of when it happens? Yeah, there are a couple of things I think that are really important that we don't talk about a lot. One is if you're within, say, five years of the day that you're going to leave full-time work, I think the first thing that we have to do, because a lot of people are running so hard, whether you're in the corporate world or you're running a business or whatever it is, that a lot of times I don't have time to find new friends or have time to think about who I will be. I got this project and they have this call in Singapore and and we're used to over decades focusing on our career track, making sure we please the boss, having good reviews, being the, the person they can go to. So I think the first thing that we should focus on doing is figuring out how do we start to set boundaries between work and life so we can separate them more than the modern economy really does. It's all sort of mushed together. Oh, that is so true. And this past year has made it even muddier because most of us were working out of our home. So that is very hard to do these days. I'm not saying that I have a very well-developed muscle with this. So maybe I'm saying this is so important because I'm working on it myself, but having clear delineation between I am working and I am not will help you start to get some mental margin so you can make a friend at the coffee shop or do some planning or think about life outside of work. Because a lot of times, especially the more successful you are, you are what you do, right? You, you know, you are whatever. So boundaries are really important. And that doesn't mean they're easy to do, but I think it's something we need to be aware of. And then the second thing when it comes to identity is in a book, uh, Atomic Havocs by James Clear is a good book on this one. And the common question is, well, what do you do? Who are you? What do you do? Well, I'm a financial planner and I'm a podcaster, right? That's what I do. That's who I am. I'm an attorney. That is not who you are, but that's how we define ourselves, right? And so a very subtle difference would be because the last thing you want to do is be retired for two or three years and say, oh, I'm a retired attorney. Yeah. (laughs) I used to be this. Right. So a a, a very simple thing, like if you take me, Roger, a podcaster or financial planner, I did some journaling on this and I'm like, no, I'm, I love creative problem solving. I love encouraging and I love finance. I just happen to use those skills to be a financial planner and a podcaster. So when you ultimately leave work, you're leaving the way you express your natural giving gifts. And now it's just how you still retain your gifts. And now it's the, the, the decision comes, well, how do I use these gifts now? Awesome. That reframing is terrific. It's subtle, but it means a lot. Yeah. Your gifts don't leave when you leave your parking spot at wherever you work. I think that's a really important distinction. And going back to your earlier point, to try to create boundaries, I think that could be a really good teaching moment. Because if you are very busy, very successful, you spend a lot of time at work, you're on your phone or on your computer when you're home, first thing you get up, if you create a boundary and you leave space and you realize what's in that space, Is there nothing? 
Is there a spouse you haven't talked to? Are there kids you haven't connected with? So just creating that boundary and experiencing that, you know, intermittently could give you the encouragement you need to fill your life. And it's going to be very uncomfortable. Yes. Perhaps scary at first. I like I was in Colorado. I'll use this as an example because it sort of illustrates this point. And I have a team that really can make things happen, happen without me. But the first week and a half, especially, I was so stressed. I had all this space that I'd given myself, but my mind couldn't, I had to detox from yeah, yeah. stress. And I, my wife retired like three or four years ago early. And it took her a good six months to get uninstitutionalized to start to really feel comfortable. She was really not struggling, but uncomfortable for a good period of time because she was so used to the pace and the affirmation and all the things that work gives you. She was the go-to lady and now she wasn't. And that nobody needs it. it, it, It can be a toxic mix that you just have to acknowledge so you can work through it. I I think uncomfortable is the perfect way to express it that if you are and so I think you have to learn that about yourself if you are a really structured person and you've been structured at work then you have to structure your different time your non-work time so that at least you're comfortable that you've got a plan and then you can change that plan but recognize kind of who you are my dad is an entrepreneur ran his own business ran his own company he retired. My mom was like, you are not, I am not your secretary. <laughs> and, uh, and you're not hanging around here bugging me all day. So he went off and decided to uh, build spec houses. He had no experience, but he's an entrepreneur. So he built a bunch of spec houses and, and did that. But the what he didn't do, he didn't, he replaced work with something else, but he didn't develop that other what kind of new friendships can I create? What kind of new hobbies can I do? He was, even though he had retired from the company he founded and grew, he was still an entrepreneur and still working. So I think it's important to just not change trains, but to really think differently about how you structure something. Definitely. And just intentionally choosing your train. Mm-hmm. Well, oftentimes what can happen is I had someone in the club about a year and a half ago. We had a, a, a just a chat and he was like, Roger, I left my job like six months ago and I want to volunteer. So I started volunteering and you know how it is when you volunteer, mm-hmm. you'll take as much as you got yeah, time-wise. If, and, and he's like, no, I feel like I'm working just as hard, but I'm not getting paid. And, and he had to unwind some of the things because it was simple to go just, it's sort of like the, uh, the rebound boyfriend or girlfriend, right? It, oh, yeah. Sometimes you just sort of recreate because it was comfortable. And so he had to work through unwinding that. Yes, I see that happening at Riverwoods. We have very high-powered people who come here, and they're independent, and they are retired, and then they suddenly are chairman of the board of this and chairman, of the, and they start volunteering, and they can overdo it and not say, okay, step back. Now I don't have any time to make friends because I'm overcommitted with volunteering. Yeah, totally. So 
One of the tools that you created that sounds really interesting to me is called a retirement lifestyle plan. Can you talk a little bit about that? And is that something that might help you create balance? I think it is. And it essentially is the structure of the course that we have in the club. And really all it is, it's retirement planning from a more of a holistic standpoint that takes you through incrementally the steps you should take to get to those sprints in an organized way. Mm -hmm. Because with retirement planning and this, you know, on the financial side, but also on the non-financial side, it's really intimidating when you start talking about all the stuff that we're talking about. And I'm a big believer in thinking through things in an organized way. Because usually when someone's thinking about leaving full-time work, it's all about the money, mm -hmm. right? Yep. Do I have enough? Right. And so, you know, the, the structure of the course and which is essentially gets you to the lifestyle plan, it actually starts with something unusual, which is what are your top 10 values mm. to revisit what those are? And we don't have video here, but I, I have mine. I actually memorialize mine on a plaque. Oh, nice. And so when you're thinking about building a plan for retirement to create the lifestyle that you want, it's a little bit different than coming out of college and figuring out your career, right? Mm -hmm. Because when you're coming out of college, you're young, you have lots of opportunity to pivot or do over. But when you're retiring, the stakes are a little bit higher because you really get one shot. If you mess up the first seven years and you retire at 60, well, now you're finding yourself at 67 and aging sets in, you're not going to be able to go back and have those go-go years. Exactly. You know, it's not like, you know, when you screw up your career, you can just start again at 30 and, you know, catch up. Mm -hmm. And the reason we start with setting your top 10 values is because your values will lead to what you want your life to look like, what you want to spend your time doing. So a good example, one of my values is adventure. And I'm not the same human being if I'm not doing adventurous things. Mm -hmm. And so they serve as a, as a, a bedrock for evaluating, am I executing on this value? Am I living a life that's expressing this value? So if one of my goals is adventure, and let's assume my wife isn't, then in the retirement goals, there's going to have to be some room. So I have time and money to go do adventurous things. That should be a goal because that I'm a better person when I do those things. So I want to make sure I have the opportunity and the money in my goal planning to be able to do those things. And then you just follow incrementally to getting to a feasible plan. So this is what I want my life to look like that are driven from my goals. Here are the resources I have. Is it feasible? And if it is awesome, if it's not, then you have some negotiation to do with yourself and so forth. So it's the whole, a lot of this is about thinking through things in an organized way. So everything is focused on what you actually care about. I think that's a great way to start because it's different for every person. And it's a great way to check authenticity. If I say that I'm committed to the environment, am I really living that if I'm commuting an hour a day? Or if I say that I am committed to relationships, am I living that if I'm not reaching out and picking up the phone and calling people? 
So it's a way of that accountability that you mentioned in the whole wham process that really to yourself. Yeah. To yourself. Am I really, and maybe, maybe it's not. And then maybe you say, you know what? I want this to be my value, but it's not my value because I'm not living that. Yeah. I'm a big believer in, especially with retirement planning in general, I'm, I'm a believer of this is regret minimalization. Oh, yes. Yes. Not regretting that you've minimized, but don't <laughs> increase your regret. <laughs> right. So Bronnie right. Ware wrote a book. I think it's like the five regrets of those dying. I forget the exact name. Bronnie Ware is her name. I have the book somewhere over here. She was a hospice nurse in Australia for years. And she wrote a book that from her experiences said, these are the top five regrets that I observe from people that are dying. Wow. And one of them was, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself. I wish I another one was, I wish I would have spent more time with my family and friends. And there, I, I don't have the five others right in front of me, but the point, I, one reason I like those, and this is my observation of doing this for to a long time, I guess, quarter of a century or more, is I really pay attention to that of what can I do now? What would my 80, 90-year-old self tell me to do about this or that? Because I don't want to get to the end of life and say, man, I, you know, why did I do all these things for all other people? Why didn't I live the life that I, why wasn't I have the courage to do that? And I think those are very mindful, important things to keep top of mind. Can I ask why 10 values? Is there a, a, why 10 versus five? I don't know if it matters. Okay. Yeah. I don't know if it matters. So one of the things that I always try to do in this podcast is provide guidelines for folks to do something right now, today, tomorrow. And it sounds like that is a great place to start is to put some thought into what your top five, top 10 values are, you know, and just do that instinctively, write them down and then look at your, the time that you spend in your life. Does that match your values? I'm recommending to everyone who's listening to get Roger's book, Rock Retirement. And the link to that is going to be in the show notes, but it's filled with a lot of very practical information that you can use. And thank you. I will put that worksheet in the show notes because I think that's something that you can do. And if you are married, you might, I would suggest doing it separately from your spouse because only you, li only you live your life. And so one of the things you just mentioned is giving over your life's control to someone else. So if your spouse is an adventurer, but you are not, you sh both should be able to live a fulfilling life, have times together and times apart that meet your individual goals. Amen. I take it your wife is not an adventurer? She is, but not the crazy stuff I do. Okay. <laughs> she would not go to Mongolia like I did. Okay. I'm a definite Mongolian traveler person. Two things that you mentioned earlier and in your book that you say are critical to get right before, during, or in retirement are health and relationships. And I think there are so many people who have advice on how to eat healthy, how to stay healthy. That's, I think that's fairly 
easy to observe. But what do you recommend if people feel that they don't have healthy relationships? What is your relationship guide? Well, it's similar to physical health. The solutions are usually pretty easy. It's the execution of them that we're just some of, for some of us we're not comfortable enough or brave enough to do. Right? Eating healthy is pretty logical, but I still love my, you know, salt and vinegar chips <laughs> in, in my my you know, my second glass of wine and all those things. And I think in the relationship end of it, it can be even more uncomfortable because there may be unhealthy relationships yeah. that are family or otherwise that aren't really feeding your soul, but, and actually draining it, but it can be uncomfortable doing that. I am not a relationship expert, but here's my, a couple of my thoughts. One is a great book on this topic. And also the topic of work is necessary endings oh, by Dr. Okay. Henry cloud, which talks about how to navigate and even with some verbiage, how things run a season. I'll tell you how I did it when I started my podcast, because in our firm, nobody knew what a podcast was. And they didn't understand what the heck I was doing. And I was spending time on it and money on it. And they didn't get it. And so what did I, what I did was, and they were, and they were, they had very different priorities than I did. They were great people. They just had different priorities. They weren't going on the same journey I was. They were on the fast train with no deviations. Or they just had their own journey, right? Mm -hmm. So what did I, what I did, and I think this might be a way to navigate that even in the personal life, is start to lean towards relationships that fuel you and nurture those and start to bring people in your life that are going on a similar direction that you respect and you want to emulate in some ways, just lean that direction and start to cultivate those. And rather than killing off the unhealthy, just start to lean away and create boundaries. So it's not such an influence in your life. And over time, what will happen, at least this happened with me is I don't really even talk to any of those people that were big parts of my life anymore. Not because I don't like them and they're not, and they're, not good people, but just because we're on different paths now. And now I'm full of people that are all over the country that I've discovered and nurtured that they're my people now. So I don't think it has to be as drastic, but life is too short to, ha short to have, especially toxic people in your life. I don't care if they're blood or not. And it's just how do you navigate that in a respectful way so you feel good about it? I, I think... That can be a hard thing for folks to do, but it is so important. And sometimes we err on the side of the polite white lie or the polite, oh, uh, well, I have to return this call or I have to have lunch with this person. But when you think about psychically how it drains you to be with someone who's negative or who doesn't understand where you're going, you know, so I think that's, it's, when you find somebody who gets where you're going, who understands, yes, I want adventure in my life, or I want something that's different, and that spirit recognizes you, that is so energizing, as opposed to having a conversation with someone who's like, I don't understand what you're doing. Why aren't you, 
Why are you off doing this crazy podcast? You've got a great job. What, you know, it's too much work. And it's just, it changes your energy level. So if we're going to go here, let's take a moment and talk about marriage. Okay. Okay. Let's go here. If your gray divorce is a huge issue, divorce later in life and in retirement. And, and even if you think about, think about the mental calculation that someone does, because I think of an inflection point with, with marriages, it's the first children when everybody's busy and some people, some people are feeling neglected. Yeah. Right. And then it's when the kids go off to college and you're empty nesters and you're like, well, who are you? Now we're spending all this time together. Like, well, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. And then when you both are retired, it's now you're spending all your time together. Mm-hmm. And the calculation is different than our parents or grandparents. Because I don't think of my grandparents who had a great marriage, but when they retired, the calculation was, well, we got pension, we have some money, and we got about a seven-year runway before we die. Mm-hmm. I can stick it out. <laughs> Right now, the calculation has changed in that if you retire at age 60, well, you may have a 20, 30 year time frame with this person. Exactly. And it's a little hard to stick that one out. And so when I say invest in relationships and we'll talk about spouses in, in the context of spouses is you want to blow up your finances, get divorced when you're later in life. Mm-hmm. Right. So how do you invest in your relationship with your spouse now to nurture that, to be healthy, assuming that you can. Right. Right. Um, yeah, I've been married almost 31 years now. And congratulations. Thanks. Thanks. And during some of the dark times, which we all have, mm-hmm. it's easy if you've been married a very long period of time to only focus on what the sh- the other partner is not giving you. It's just a natural thing that you do. Yeah, you take for granted the good, All the and you focus stuff. on the negative. Right, and when you try to fix the marriage or fix work on fixing the relationship, it's all focused on getting them to do the things that you want them to do. <laughs> There's that whole control issue right there. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's a natural human thing, right? Yeah, yeah. I know best. Do what I want you to do. Then I will finally be happy. Exactly. (laughs) And I remember a big turning point in our marriage for me was my growth to saying, you know what? I'm just going to, I'm going to take the first step and I'm just going to try to be the best spouse that I can be for them before they do anything. I'm going to try to just focus on their needs and really be thoughtful in serving my spouse and being a good partner. No wonder you've been married 31 years. <laughs> and I'm not saying I'd do it perfectly, <laughs> but it, it changed everything. And it actually opened up the doors for the other spouse to do the same thing. And, and I think that's part of investing in relationships and part of the whole agile process, Kathleen, that sort of put a, maybe a capstone on this that got me into agile retirement planning is I always say, you know what my secret to a good marriage is? My secret to a good marriage is if I can never have a big conversation with my spouse. Because if I'm having a big conversation, that means something has festered that wasn't addressed when it was an annoyance. And that's usually what happens. So if I can have lots of little conversations, sometimes a little uncomfortable, 
that's better than avoiding things and then having a big conversation. And it's the exact same way in financial planning. That's why we use an agile process is to have lots of iterations of checking in so you can take advantage of opportunities, but also identify, ooh, that's not something we want to keep doing or we need to address and we nip it in the bud. A really good example from my life has, that has to do with podcasting is I was, I was trying to make a point. And what I used to make the point was the fact that my wife does something consistently that is very minor, but it's a little annoying. And so I told this on the show to illustrate a bigger point. And so I came downstairs after recording the podcast, like, honey, I just made this connection to make this big point. And I used the story. It was incredible. It's going to be great. And she looked at me and there's a pregnant pause. Don't ever tell stories like that on the show without talking to me first. So that's a little conversation because that was uncomfortable for her and uncomfortable for me. But what could normally happen if I come down and make this point, what if she says nothing? She's upset. Oh man, why would he tell something about that about me in the show without asking me? And she wouldn't be happy. I would go off on my merry way. Most likely what would happen, she would be annoyed with me for the rest of the night, maybe over a few days. And maybe she treats me different. Mm -hmm. And then I'm like, what's her problem? Why is she being so mean to me? So (laughs) I start getting mean back and then it festers. And those things can grow to destroy marriages, but having those little conversations, it was uncomfortable, but it nipped it in the bud. And that's the same. I think that's how you nurture relationships is you just really keep connecting and find the things and deal with them so they don't grow into something bigger. So that is a special bonus for this podcast is... I know we're long. I'm sorry. Roger's marriage advice. No, I think that's fantastic. It is very true. And it is reflective of just the same kinds of things you need to do with yourself, with your financial planning, with your life, and with your spouse is don't wait, let things fester, have these small conversations. And and I love the goal that you set of trying to be the best spouse you possibly could and starting off that way and then reaping the benefits of that as opposed to focusing on the negative. I think that's such a great, great switch. I could continue for another hour and and get a lot more out of this. And maybe if we're lucky, we'll have you back. But I want to say thank you so much, Roger. This has been a wonderful experience. I encourage everyone to check the show notes where you'll find a link to Roger's book. You can learn about his Rock Retirement Club There'll be a link there. Some of the other books that were mentioned will be uh, connected as well as the worksheet. So a lot of great practical things that you can do tomorrow, the next day, the next week to put this into practice so that you can have a fantastic and fulfilling and authentic retirement. So that's our show for today. If you enjoyed it, please tell your friends about us so we can grow our tribe. Visit our website, senioritiauthority.org, to submit questions or tell me what you need to hear next. Give us a rating on your favorite podcast platform and watch us on social media. And until next time, enjoy the opportunity to get smarter about growing older. Thanks to our show sponsor, The Riverwoods Group. 
Northern New England's largest family of nonprofit retirement communities, where active adults find community, purpose, and peace of mind. Visit riverwoodsgroup.org. That's our show for today. Did it spark a question? If so, send us your questions at senioryauthority.org and we'll track down the answer. Meanwhile, don't forget to subscribe, like us on Facebook, follow us on YouTube, and rate us on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time, let's get smarter about growing older.